Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Love Talk Radio. men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grace. Welcome to Gridiron Grace Football History and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. We're live from the Wally for Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We are sponsored, in part, by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for one of the largest selections of vintage football and football memorabilia on the web at msbsportscards.com. And we're also sponsored, in part, by BSC Auctions. If you haven't already, check out their auction currently going on at their website and register today, bscauctions.com. It is at this time... I'd like to introduce my co-host, who is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, <laughs> a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squire, show. Welcome to the show this evening. Ambassador, good afternoon, sir. How are you, Joe? I'm doing good. Another another great show. Looking forward to it. I I really enjoy the uh, for those listening. You know, Bob and I usually get together before the show for about uh, you know five plus minutes and just talk. And then mm-hmm. about half the time, I give I give Bob a call afterwards, and we talk about the show and talk about other things. It's uh, this is, uh, I've, I've said this a hundred times, I have the best seat in the house. I just I get to talk to the ambassador of football, the captain, Bob Swick, <laughs> about football for a full hour every couple weeks. I, uh, I'm, I'm a lucky man. Well, Joe, I appreciate you being my co-host. You are a wealth of knowledge on several very, very critical and important vintage areas, especially Mr. Grange. And tonight, we're going to kind of backtrack a little, obviously, I think before you were born, to a time 
where there was very little information going on about what was being mm-hmm. issued as far as football cards and things of that nature. And we talked very briefly about this during the week. And I'm going to talk tonight, and we're both going to talk about the 1972 Tops football card set and how there was a third series of those cards that many, many people, like myself at the time, had no idea yep. were in existence. And yep. to give some background on Tops and football cards, basically they would come out, and they were coming out starting with the uh, 68 set in more than one series, basically two series. And I really assumed that in 1972, the three places where I used to buy my football cards from, one was a little drugstore in North Brantford, the town I grew up in, and the other two stores were in Brantford, which was the town right next to us. There was One was a candy shop and one was a little uh, magazine bookstore. And both of them didn't have anything more than the first series or the second series of the 1972 top set. So I always did the, assumed uh, that. And, and, Bob, did the first and second series come out at the same time, or did they trickle those out? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, it, it came out. It was basically cards 1 to 132. And I honestly uh-huh. don't remember. But I'll, I'll make an assumption like four, six weeks after the second series was out. And that was cards okay. 133. 133 to 263. So I always thought yeah. my tax 1972 set, as the years went on, uh, were, was complete at cards 1 to 263. I really never saw any information on a third series. I, I didn't really know anything more than that. Now, for those people who don't so know me and know some of my background. That's two standard I, sheets. That's two, two standard 11 by 12 sheets. I have a, an uncut 1972 top sheet, and it's a standard okay. 11 by 12, 132. So the first okay. two series, okay. if, if, there's no, if there's no double prints, would be 264 cards. Okay, I, all right, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, now, all right, so hold that thought because I'm going to ask you about what I'm going to explain now. Now, for those people who, who are tuning into the show for the first time or who don't have enough background on me. I have basically kept very, very stringent notes over the years about cards I bought and about different sets that I put together over the years. And in particular, what I what I paid for cards over the years at the same time. Now, I went back in my notes because I talked about the 1972 top set and in particular the third series to the set, which I did not discover until 1979, I was I was at a card show, and a dealer told me there was a third series. He had one card from it. That card was number 319, and that was in excellent condition, and it was a, a Chandler of the Buffalo Bills. And he charged me at that time the incredible sum of $3 for the card, which I was a little taken wow. back by, but I, since I had never seen... And knew I knew nothing about the third series, so I started on a little hunt. And again, back then, you how, had no. How much of internet. a shock? How much of a shock was that when you're like he goes? You, well, I, you I was, I card was number taken three, back. Whatever. Yeah, I was I was pr- pretty taken back to finding that there was an actual third series. And again, <laughs> it was really tough getting information. Now I'm going to fast forward. According to my notes, in 1982, uh, obviously, 
the baseball card explosion brought out more information with football cards, that there was a third series printed. These cards were cards 264 to 351. Now, according to your your uh, uncut sheet, uh, the first two series were 132 cards each. This third series, I would assume, is what, 88 cards? 88, which is usually, uh, which means, yeah, which means uh, one-third of the sheet is a double print. That's pretty standard. All right, so then in that case, the cards 264 to 351, which apparently was this marketed third series for the Sunday 2 tap set, I started getting more and more information on it. And at that time, I did realize that the most expensive card in the third series was going to be a Joe Namath Pro Action card, card number 343. So I, I over the years, would be looking at them, picking them up, so on and so forth. So now I'm going to fast forward now to 1987. And I started collecting the third series with a little more um, urgency, let's say, because I'm saying to myself, these are pretty rare and I'm only finding yeah. maybe two or three a year at a card show. None of the card wow. shops I, I I went to at that time, I was only, like, at that time, back in the early 80s, probably three card shops that were in existence around here, not before the explosion in 88 and 89. And none of them had, you know, I had picked over the one inventory that, of the card shop that he actually had maybe two or three at the time. The other two didn't even know what I was talking about. And I uh-huh. saw a hobby advertisement for Fritch Cards out of Wisconsin to purchase, you could purchase single cards from the third series. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So I put in an order and I sent in, I know I had to send in a, may, a money order. I couldn't send in a check because he held the check. check. So I said, well, let me send the money order and let me get my cards quick. Now, uh, fast forward back in 89, couple months go by, three months go by, four months go by. I'm not getting any order from uh, them. Right. Then I called a couple times. They said they'd get back to me. I finally called, and again, it's long distance back then, yada, yada, yada. It's not like today. And uh, I finally was told uh, they're not available. We're gonna, we found your money order. We're going to mail it back. So, and these okay. were wax bags you were trying to buy? What? What were they you were trying to buy from Fritz? They were wax packs, correct? The third, some of the third series of the cards. He had them singles oh, okay. for sale. So I probably oh, okay. put together an order. I did write it down because it was a canceled order. Probably over $100 worth of cards from them, which weren't, you know, I didn't buy any stars. But basically, I was trying to pick up the commons. So I get the, yeah. I get the check back. I get the money order back. And uh, I had to go through the hassle of uh, getting the money back on the money order. And then I see the ad for the cards with a higher price about a year later and all the cards I wanted to buy in it. So how they ever came wow. back is beyond me, but I'm going to point out two different theories on that third series, one of which was published in Sports Collectors Digest in 2013 that, according to the law, 50 cases of 15 boxes to a case were sold to Fritch by Tops at $5 a case because they wanted to get rid of it. I also have another point in my notes 
that he got between 75 and 100 cases for the cost of the freight to get him out there. So I have no <laughs> clue as to how many are actually he bought. If we go by the published SCD article, it's 50 cases. If we go by the scuttlebutt that I heard at a few major shows that I went to back in the 80s, it was uh, between 75 and 100 cases. I do not know, with the exception of some Midwest distribution, where those third series boxes ended up, nor do I understand why they were in the Midwest rather than on the East Coast, you know, basically Pennsylvania, where Deere, Pennsylvania was when they were, they were printing the cards and shipping them from there. And logically, in, in Connecticut here, I would have, would have assumed I would have found some of the cards back in 72, and there was nothing anywhere whatsoever. So it's an interesting story, but I want to get back to the uncut sheet. Your theory on the third series, if you have any, as far as the printing sheet is concerned, based on the 132 cards that you you see in your sheets one and uh, series one and series two. Correct. Yeah, I was just actually just jotting some stuff down while you were talking. You know, the card, the set is 351 cards. Correct. Right. Right. Uh, so it came out what, one through 264 within a couple weeks of each other. So the first two right. series, 132 and 132, which would be 211 by 12 sheets. Uh, right. And then card number 265 through 351 came out, which is 86 cards. So I was what mm-hmm. I was trying to do is go, okay, 80, 86 cards on an 11 by 12 sheet. Because, you know, that's a stock of cardboard. They don't, they don't want to go get a smaller piece of cardboard just to do a third series run. So and that's right. definitely a double print. So, so the right. you know probably one third, you know one quarter to one third of that third series is a double print likely, mm-hmm. since there's only 86 cards on a 132 card sheet. Right, right. So I, I again, there got to be double prints in that third series. I'm also wondering too why the heck they went to the third series. For the simple yeah. reason, and let's go, let's go back in history, 1972 weren't cards. You, yeah, I'm and sorry. weren't you saying it was like six or seven weeks after the second series came out, the third series came out? By then, you know, people were out of money. I mean, uh, you know, there's right. there's something that uh, that me that you know, young guys like me. And I'm 46, by the way. I was born in 1970, uh, but I okay. definitely wasn't collecting right. cards when 72 came out. Um, okay. But I mean, you know, like when I started collecting in 79. 78, it came out in one series. So Topps right. learned their lesson by, by trickling these things out in series in 1972. And after that, you know, said to hell with this, let's dump them all out at once. Uh, right. They, so, 19, you know, the word is. 1973, you're correct, because that is the first year of just one series, uh, one series uh, wax box, or one series yeah. uh, of a rack. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was rack packs in 73. And, um, Again, the, the series was gone. The series was eliminated from it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So Topps learned their so, lesson in 1972 because sales were horrific, is, is what you've told me and what I've heard uh, of third series 72, to the point where it cost more to ship it back to the manufacturer, which is where Fritz picked it up. Uh, you, you know, they, So Topps took a bath on the third series to the point where they learned their lesson after that. So that, that's fascinating and, that, you know, a couple, 
if you go if you go back and I don't know and you probably are aware of it too on older wax boxes up to 1987, the infamous black magic marker marked through the box was a return box. Yeah. Back yes. to the company, which somehow got back into the market, being sold to other dealers at, at very low low prices. And then again, I'll, I'll relate a story to this as far as returns. It was very common in the late 70s and early 80s, flare in action football cards were returned back to flare. They were not marked with the black marker. However, yeah. a lot of dealers ended up sending to people who would buy whatever they ordered packs oh, and boxes of the, the flare in action to get rid of them. And what is interesting yeah. about that, when we're way off subject here, is that most collectors didn't collect the stickers inside. They collected, obviously, the cards. And now the stickers, to a certain degree, are more difficult to, to uh, collect. Unlike agree, the, agree, the yeah. series, which is, or to me, are very, very rare, to say the least. I finished How? that set, believe it or not, in 1991. So it took me a long time wow. to, to get that third series. How, yeah. how, and, rare, uh, how it, rare is that third series still nowadays? How rare is it still? I don't think it's as rare because I did I did a couple of searches on eBay, and there's a lot of third series for sale. And over the past, I want to say, 10 years, I've handled some up, upgrades to my third series because, honestly, my third series are ex to near mint um, because of the way they were cut okay. and some of them being handled, so on and so forth. And there were, to me, a lot of surface creases in the cards, and I think it, it's just the way it was printed and or cut type of thing. And would, it, would it be safe? Yeah, would it be safe to say that most third series never hit the, you know, kids barely opened it. Let's say, you know, a right, tenth right. of what series one and two were. So most of the third series seventy-two tops football cards out there are wax. Somebody has opened who that and they've purchased. So right, uh, yeah, different right. demographic opening third series. I checked the uh, Fritch website. Uh, yesterday, and they're they are not available for sale. So I, I would assume he sold out what he had, and or B he's just holding on to them type of thing. But C I I don't see the great demand for them as they were back in the 80, late eighties and early nineties when you had the football card explosion, and um, all you saw was series one and two type of thing. I haven't seen many either over the years. Complete one to three fifty one. Uh, sets of 1972 tops available either. You know what I mean? Um, right. I'm sure they're there, but I just don't see them with any regular, you know, regular, uh, on a regular basis as compared to like a 76, yeah. 71, whatever. You know what I mean? And then uh, well, 73, I'm going to find them. So. Talk about having some foresight, Fritz. At some point, he's like, you know, that's an investment. And at some point, he had the foresight to say, I will buy all this, and I'm going to sit on right. it for 20, 30 years, or whatever it takes, but one of these days, this will be valuable. Is that good for the right. hobby or bad for the hobby? And it, yeah, I'm sorry, we are getting off track, but, you know, would well, these have ended up in, 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 a, in, a, in a landfill or a dumpster if he hadn't have taken them? Yeah. Well, it's the same. It's a, it's, again, it wasn't collect. It was not widely collected, number one. Number two... There were virtually no card dealers at the time. So, you know, why, why tie up all that money in inventory? And C, 
you really needed a, a warehouse or some pretty good space if you're going to take that amount of, you know, of inventory in, in wax boxes just to, you know, to hold on to them type of thing, which he did. And he, yeah. he had the space. He still has the space to this day. So I, I just find it pretty interesting with regards to the sheer volume of what yeah, you're driving in. You're, and you're again, dri- if you do the math, 15 boxes in 50 cases, you're looking at roughly um, 750 wax boxes of these cards yeah. and, you know, X amount of cards I, in the pack. So there's really, what, maybe uh, 9,000 cards out there. You know, I, I think so, I mentioned yeah, on the show before. I bought a I, I bought a bunch of 1988 Topps football from a guy in Seattle. I live in Portland, and I know everybody just shook their head and went 88 Topps football. Why? Uh, and I would agree with you. I don't know why. Um, but you know. basically, he was trying to sell them at like two dollars a box, and you think he had 70 boxes, you know, 60 or 70 boxes. Mm-hmm. Nobody'd buy them because you know right. a box is two bucks. By the time you ship them to the East Coast, it's useless. And I told him, all right, I'll take it, but you have to meet me halfway between Seattle and Portland. And I hadn't wrapped my arms around what 60 boxes of 88 Tops football looked like. So I met him, and he starts loading them into my – I was driving a Ford Bronco. And uh, yep. 60 yep. boxes of wax football weighs a lot. And my yep. Bronco looked yep. like a pregnant rat driving down the road. It, it weighed a lot. It was, uh, <laughs> so that gives, me, that, that gives me an idea of how hard it is to move 50 cases – of football, right. I mean, right. that's a lot. You're right. you're absolutely right. Well, what I I can you know? envision the tractor trailer pulling up to Stevens Point there, and I'm skids <laughs> wrapped all these wax boxes of the '72 High Series. Well, I believe yeah. our guest is available. I'd like to introduce him at this time. Our guest is well known in the football card and memorabilia hobby and industry, as he is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine. He's a co-owner of MSB Sports Cards, and he's also a co-owner of BSD Auctions. He's also been a guest co-host for our podcast. He hails from Ohio. I'd like to welcome to our show a good friend of ours, Mr. John Spano. John, welcome to the show this evening. Hey, thanks, Bob. How you doing, Joe? Good to talk to you Doing guys. good. Doing good. John said good friend. I would, uh, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump the brakes on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get right into you, it. You, you, you didn't John, you didn't send me a link to the uh, to the auction, John. Uh, you you lost good friend status. <laughs> I'm sorry. The catalog wasn't enough. Did you get a catalog? Yeah, I did. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah. Well, I'll take you off the mailing list for the next one. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Joe Joe set some sniper bids available, and he's gonna uh, he's gonna uh, be bidding on some serious stuff there. But, John, I'm going to back up from the auction for one second, and I want you to think about this. In your opinion, what does the football card and memorabilia market look like to you in 2017 today? Are, are, do you see trends? Do you see strengths? Do you see weaknesses? What's your overall take on the market? Now, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said that this this whole thing that the the grading card company, specifically PSA, was going to collapse in, into a heap of plastic. Um, but that's <laughs> still going strong. Uh, that's that's what's driving us. That's what's driving our bidders. That's what's driving our consigners and consignments. 
Um, that That is the force behind just about everything that is going on in the hobby right now. And as much as it – now, I don't want to say it pains me to say that because I understand, uh, you know, people want clean cards. People want, you know, numbered cards that are that are rarities, even though they might just be condition rarities. Uh, that it's still going strong, and it's a machine that I don't see stopping anytime soon. Um, I we just received a huge consignment, uh, football graded sets from the 60s and 70s for our next auction, uh, all PSA slabbed. Uh, talk about I heard you talking about bulk, Joe. I have a, a couple of those sets that came in to me just a few days yep. ago, and I, I can't even imagine. I mean, you can imagine that people that don't have things in, in quantity slabs, how much this, this weighs just to handle. One single set. Oh yeah. Um, oh no, I used to. Yeah, I'm I'm a slab. Well, I used to be a slab collector, and it used to just it, it would impress me slash dismay me to see how much that stuff weighed and how much room it took up. You know. Yeah. No. No, it's uh, and that's that's where that's where I would have to say the the focus, the main focus of collecting is right now. Even from the the guys that I've been dealing with for the last ten, fifteen, twenty years that are vintage collectors still. A lot of them, you know, want the, the nice high-grade material, and I, I respect that. I mean, it's as long as it's legit and, and, and they're happy with what they're, what's in the holder, uh, nice cards are nice cards, and uh, it's just a way for them to compete. It's a way to, for them to keep track of things, and um, it's driving the market for sure. Uh, the prices keep going up, and, and I don't see anything stopping that. Now, ask me five years from now, and we'll probably say, hey, let's let's replay what John said five years ago as, as the, you know, everything's collapsed around the, the graded card market. But I don't obviously don't well, know if that happens. Um, I just I think that, that there's still a lot of people that are getting into it. It surprises me a little bit. Well, All right, so my question then, and as both of you guys know, I'm, I'm the dinosaur in the hobby. I still like my cards with nine pocket sheets, and I know I'm probably throwing away maybe fifty, a hundred million dollars by not getting my cards graded or whatever. At but least, in at reality, least. Yeah. in reality, okay, is the market going to reach a point? And I try, I, I try to parallel it to what I saw at the Nationals this past year. Is the market going to reach a point where? the ungraded card of any sort is going to be available for sale? Or do you actually think that everything is going to be, let's say everything graded number five and up is going to be slabbed and everything four and down, unless it's a rare card, is just going to be basically thrown to the uh, furnaces type of thing. What, what's your take on that, if any? Uh, I... I don't. I, that's a good question, Bob. And then, and I, when I, when I look at, at the hobby today, and, and again, you know, the percentage of cards graded, it, it, I'm sure some people have thrown estimates out there. You know, what percentage of you know 67 tops football cards are graded? And, you know, what percentage of 56 tops football cards are graded? Uh, the higher stuff, great stuff, I think, is making its way into slabs. And when we receive that material, uh, unless I get specific directions from our consigner that they want to sell it as a raw set, I, you know, I go through and I cherry pick uh, not only the star cards, but the cards that are low pop and uh, cards that you know, bring some higher dollars because that's going to bring more money for us and more money for our consigners. So I, you know, I'll tell them, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll grade a certain, certain amount of cards for you. Uh, it's going to help you out. And, uh, and that's what we typically do. So, I have had a couple consigners tell me that they want to just leave their stuff raw. They're fine with that, and they bought it raw, and they'll sell it raw. And if somebody wants to have it graded after they buy it, that's that's up to them. 
It's interesting. So in theory, in theory, then if if um, which I never will try to sell my collection to the actual the run, my best bet would be to take and uh, probably call PSA or SGC and tell them, you know, set up uh, in our guest room here because you got <laughs> twenty eight thousand cards yeah. I want you to grade. <laughs> And then ship them to Ohio there for consignment with uh, BSC type of thing. You know, that, I'm that sure there's a, a train line that, that runs you know? between us. It is, it is, Bob, and that's that's the reality of it. And, and you stand in lines at the shows, and I know Joe's done this, and I do it almost every mm-hmm. year. It, it amazes me to see the things that are in people's hands as they're walking up up to those grading booths. You know, some things that I would never consider even putting in the holders. Uh, but they right. want them holdered, and and you know, it's there. Somebody wants their their little niche in the hobby. You know, I have the uh, the highest graded this set. You know, and and nobody else even has one graded. But that that's the way things are, and and I understand that. You know, there, there's there's a lot of people that as as we get older, I'll speak for myself. Uh, you know, the competition that that fueled us in other arenas when we were younger. Uh, it's, it still burns in you a little bit, and, and some people do it this way. And I, I understand. I understand completely. You know, they want to mm-hmm. uh, beat that next guy. I, I'll give you a quick example. I have one collector who buys from us, and he has specifically told uh, me to leave things on the website uh, because he knows that the person that is next to him, number two on the list for the per- particular set he's after, as soon as he sees it disappear, knows that you know it's it's he's going to be trying to make a move. So he he tries to do it all in bunches. They'll list you know the last 15 cards that he upgraded at one time, and then they make moves. And I, best of my knowledge, this has been going on between these two collectors for the last 10 years. So <laughs> the registry is a hell of a drug. And then, certainly and in my in my book. Uh, my registry is a nice Caribbean island for ten days and come back home. Rest. So it's, it's a different, it's a different handle for a lot of people. But uh, yeah. you know, real, you know, I, I hate to throw that out, but you know, in reality, okay. So we, we've gone to the graded, the graded uh, concept. It's it's very firmly embedded in the hobby. And again, as much as I fought it. Um, I continue to fight it, I guess, because I, I still have very little interest in it, except for the um, the uh, Mayos graded in SGC, but then their numbers are every conceivable which way. I got 20s that look like 50s. I got a 40 that looks like a 10. So it, it, it's almost illogical to me in a way, you know, looking well, at Bob, it. I, it is what it is, and that's some it. People, you know? Some people get stuff slabbed. I mean, like, you know, me, I get stuff slabbed. I, I, I want to provenance to it you know i i want i want to know what it is you know displayed so when i hand it to someone they're not well what is this well it's red grange's you know you know last college game oh okay you know if it's on a label it's easier and and mostly nowadays i want to physically protect my cards you know where a top loader won't do it so uh, moreover i'm grading i'm getting stuff graded more to protect it and you know just to just to label it than i am because i give a crap about a registry <laughs> no, and I agree, Joe. That's an, uh, definitely another, and I think that's that's another way to look at it as far as the collector goes. You know, I have a lot of material graded too, and, and you know, don't want to be morbid when you say things like this. But you know, if, God forbid my wife ever has to take care of my collection. I hope she never does. Uh, a lot of the things that I have graded will be a seamless transition for her. 
uh, just to you know, yeah. move those on to somebody, uh, and and it, it just or, or whatever. If I pass them on to my children, whatever whatever happens, yep. whatever I end up keeping in my yep. collection. So that that does make it easier. The labeling part of it, at least. So for sure. So John, I want to sure. talk about your auction, your latest auction, my my friend, my good mm-hmm. friend. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I pulled a couple numbers off your auction here. Two hundred and twenty football lots. And then you have some other crap for sale, obviously, some other sports. A uh, couple, couple of the highlights couple of the highlights in there. 1926 Shotwell Adback Red Grange, card number 9B, as it is, with the 77 and the pearly whites being flashed. The 49-leaf uncut double sheet, which uh, Mike Blaisdell and I have talked at length about. He, I think the story is he pulled that out of a dumpster at a card Pretty show, much. didn't he? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might have been by proxy, Joe, but that's that's the story with that piece. I know that for sure. That was yeah. That was uh, that love dumpster dive. Yeah. Yep. You've got some Packer Walker cleaners from 1932, and you've got some uh, some 1928 SPCs. You have seven of them. Uh, some pretty good things. That that's just the football, obviously, which is all you know any of our any any of us care about. I, you know, like children, you shouldn't have a favorite. But when you put together an auction like this, when you put together a catalog as you're writing descriptions, as you're perusing things and taking pictures, what, what are your favorite? You know, what, what's your favorite lot or lots in this auction? Oh, I, I mean, this this was a great auction because we not only do we have you know Mike Blaisdell's material still going, but I, we got received a number of nice late consignments at the national. Uh, one guy from hmm. Green Bay in particular who who just showered us with Packers stuff, and it's going to be in our next auction as well. Uh, all the way from uh, Aaron Rodgers rookie cards, which there's six of those, which are, are getting a lot of – we've had a lot of people sign up that probably would have never signed up for the auction just for those six cards. Uh, oh, all the kidding. way back wow. to old old programs, um, signed yep. programs. There's a, a 65 – well, it's a 66 NFL championship that. program. The, the one that uh, got the Packers to the first Super Bowl, signed by Lombardi and – Probably about I think seven or eight Hall of Famers. So, I mean, it's it's incredible. Uh, just that, wow. an unbelievable the, piece. Is that is that the program you showed me at the national? I don't remember now. We had a number of them there, Bob. But yeah, I'm sure I showed right. that to you. I, I I probably would have gone out of my way to show that program to you. So I mean, that was it was pretty yeah. pretty nice program. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, and obviously, just just looking at Mike's stuff. Uh, you know, this auction, uh, next auction, I plan on having a little more 19th century material. Uh, there's a few things. There's a pen cabinet that is just absolutely humongous. Uh, one of the biggest cabinets I've ever seen. I believe it's in 1886. Um, wow. And and just just a, a number of of as you said, you know, you mentioned the Shotwells. There's Shotwell wrappers, Shotwell boxes, both Shotwell sets. Yep. Uh, yep. Not to mention, and, and this is, I wrote a little article uh, for Bob probably about, I don't know if it's six, nine months ago, about embracing, uh, football collectors need to start embracing uh, print, printer's oddities and, and uh, rarities and freaks and whatnot like the baseball guys do because we have a nice mm-hmm. one in the auction ghost. too. It's a, it's a ghost image on the back of, of one of the Shotwell cards. It's really, yeah, really neat piece. Um, and, you know, again, there's, it's so rare to begin with those cards that it's kind of hard to tell somebody that, you know, oh, you know, you need to start looking at, you know, that, you know, the, like for the T206 guys in baseball, you know, there's one little, one little letter that's a skew and they go nuts over yeah. it and command you know, 20 times over the price. But at the same time, it's, it's really kind of a neat piece. 
uh, with that image yeah. printed on the back of the card and the front of the card. Um, and again, it's, it's, so somebody might think it's so like so. So waiting for your answer on which one's your favorite, John. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm going through them in my mind right now. Uh, You're so politically correct. To, if I, it's right. It's, it's sickening, isn't it? If I had to, uh, if I had to pick something out of the auction that I would want for myself, uh, it would probably be the the Packers program, the one that I mentioned first. That that I think is just a significant piece. It kicks off the Super Bowl era. Uh, it has the signature of probably and arguably, even though some people might you know, disagree with what Belichick's done, probably the best coach of all time. Uh, I know Bob's not going to argue with me about that. Um, no, not at all. And, and, and uh, you know, my favorite player. You said the too, right thing, John. So. <laughs> you said the right my, thing. So. <laughs> my, my favorite player on there, too, and, and I, a lot of guys who know me closely know that I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jerry Kramer and so excited to see. And I don't know if you guys discussed it on previous podcasts or not, but he's a, a senior's nominee this year, and I'm so, so yep. hoping that he yep. gets in. Uh, and yeah. uh, it, his signature is beautiful and bold on there, too. So um, just just a great piece. Just a great piece. One that you can, Bob. you know, just just think about being passed around the locker room or wherever it was passed around, all these guys. <laughs> Bob, do you have yeah, a exactly. feeler bit on that? Or are, are, are you registered at BST yet, Bob? Uh, I, I do have a number or whatever whatever the procedure is I have been in the past. I'm holding Bob back on my saddle number one. Yeah, Bob's saddle number one. <laughs> I, I thought I you told me a long him. time ago. You, John, you told me a long time ago. I forget. I think we were in Chicago. That Bob, somebody was bidder number one, but you gave me an inside track. I think I'm like bidder number two or three on on BSD, aren't I? Uh, yeah, I think one of bidder number one is actually one of the uh, auction houses uh, or the software managers. Uh, person they put a it's a semicolon is better number one <laughs> she she did that as a test <laughs> and i haven't been able to remove it as much as hard as i've tried but yeah you're you're right up there joe you may have registered first right. or second so right up unbelievable there's, but yeah, there's the a couple more excited it. go ahead bob i'm sorry no i was going to say there's um if you can i'm interested in if you have any, I'm trying to find it right now. I'm looking for it. Uh, you have a group a lot of some very, very old photos uh, yeah. from, oh, boy, I'm trying to find them. Al Gra- Graber, All-Stars. Al oh, Graber. Can you oh, have yeah. any background on those? The only background I have on them, and I, I didn't put any of this in there because, you know, you have to have some level of responsibility as, a, as an, an auction house person because you start – putting out anecdotal stuff and right. you get yourself in trouble. But I'll, I'll share it with, with who's ever listening and, and, and us. Um, those teams, Al Graber's All-Stars, um, had some close association with the Rooney's, uh, that being Art Rooney and his brothers. And I was told that he's in a couple pictures, but nobody could tell me who he was. And as much as I looked as closely, there's no way that I can make any positive identification. Uh, but mm-hmm. those teams played against Rooney's teams and Rooney, you know, they were interchangeable parts, the semi-pro teams, the Sandlot teams in the Pittsburgh area. So those wow. were, Al Graber was a Pittsburgh area boxer and a promoter. Uh, he owned a, a baseball team and a semi-professional football team. And in addition, there's a, also a lot of the Bradley Eagles and that's another uh, right. suburb, right. 
suburb area outside of Pittsburgh, and, and those are some really, really, really nice pieces. And for somebody who wants to dig in and do some research um, uh, on early professional, semi-professional football, I, there's ledgers in a couple of those lots. Uh, there's there's notes on, you know, who sold tickets, which I found interesting, and I'm, I'm glad actually you brought that up. Never dawned on me. Um, they actually would credit the players if they sold tickets, and they have a, on the ledgers, you know, this player sold seven tickets before the game, and they have a number next to his name, so I don't know if they added that to the wow. salary or they shared part of it with the salary, which also lends some light on those pieces that we sold from the, the Oorang Indians with the, the player's name stamped on them. Those mm-hmm. were vouchers, yeah, yeah. I thought, but maybe those were tickets, so when those tickets got returned to the, the handler, okay, well, you know, you know, Joe Guyon sold, 12 tickets, you know, let's give them, you know, three bucks or something like that on top of whatever salary you made for the game. So you find it's mm-hmm. interesting things you figure out just looking at all that. So those are great lots in addition to the pictures, which are totally great display yeah. pieces. You have a lot of information behind yeah. them too. I really enjoyed going over those games. So I, I probably spent like 20 minutes just looking at every detail of those game summaries, you know, of the, of the ticket, you know, you know, sales of that, that, that was fascinating, you know, you know, different areas, different. Yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. And the percentage that the home team got versus the visitor versus the NFL's take on it. I mean, what was that? Three percent. You know, yeah, it's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to I want to point out too to our listeners um, something that is collectible that you shouldn't really discard if you are truly a. You know, you really want to improve your collection, or you want to you want to make your collection be more understandable is catalogs like BST auctions and several other auction houses yes. that go into the detail and have the photography of the pieces yes. are the, the greatest reference tools you can have much better than any type of price guide or anything like that. And I got to, yep. I got to tell you this, John, that you know, the last three auction catalogs that you had are, are just incredible pieces of history of football. And, and this one, especially seeing the write-ups and seeing what you have there is just, it's just amazing to me. And, it, it, you know, again, if, you, if you're into football and you want to reference, this is the catalog, these are the catalogs you need to hold on to. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, you've got a Sunday night auction you're coming out with every, every week. I mean, this is, this is something that is, you know, basically once every 10 years and once every 20 years to see come out and to actually see the pieces and have a photograph of them as a reference, which is uh, amazing to me, especially the older photos, the older programs, things of that nature. So that that was very, very well done. Thank you. Thank you. And a lot, a lot of these pieces, as you said, Bob, are, are going to go into collections, and, and who knows when they'll see the light of day again, if ever, uh, yeah. because a lot of the stuff that Mike had and, and, and a lot of the stuff that we're, we're turning up organically, uh, very rare. Um, and again, you, you asked me at the beginning. The first question you asked me is, you know, where is it hot right now? It's definitely hot with the slabs. But uh, the second thing I would go to are these these very eclectic one-on-one pieces. This original artwork, uh, ledgers from old football games that happened almost 100 years ago. And that those are the kind of yep. pieces that if you get those in your collection, it, it just again not ever telling anybody how to collect, but it just add so much. It's just a, they're, they're character yeah. pieces. It, it tells you a lot yeah. about what was happening. So, Yeah, Bob and I, a couple and weeks ago, were I, talking about how, how... Go for it, Bob. No, go ahead, Joe. Bob and, I, Bob and I were talking a couple weeks ago about how stingy some football card collectors are, where they tend to get stuff and then keep it. So 
like you just said, you know, you, you know, who knows how long this, you know, how long until this stuff sees the light of day again. I mean, you know, not very often you get a collector like Mike Blaisdell for breaking up his collection. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah so, for sure. And I, I'm looking for it now as I, I browse through, and, you know, we have a, a 32 Brooklyn Dodgers contract offer because there was no draft in 1932, and they would send out letters to the players they wanted to play for them with, with offers in them, and it was kind of, you know, high stakes. Whoever sent out the best offer, if the player was interested in playing, that's that's where they would go, and it's, it's an interesting how they word it. Uh, on, the, yeah. on the front of the envelope for for this lot, they they mention him as the the all around all American end. That's how they addressed him on the front of the envelope. It's you know it's trying to schmooze him a little bit, I guess. But uh, uh, it's, it's very very interesting. The, are the Brooklyn Dodgers before, a football team? Yes, that Brooklyn Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers football team. Football team, okay, very good. I like it. And, and what I was going to point out before is that old paper photographs, the programs, the ticket stubs, the actual contracts, the letterheads, yep. the envelopes. It's so rare, and I'm just so surprised it's it's just not overly collected in the market. And I think it's great that you, you've been bringing up several of these types of pieces, like that Graybar uh, set of photos, because to me they're, they're exceptionally rare. You just don't see those items. Uh, you know, even if you go to, like, flea markets, you go to old antique, or you can go to antique shops or whatever, you really don't see any of that kind of stuff, let alone, you know, see something from vintage football or, or vintage games like that type of thing. So it's amazing. It's yeah. really amazing. John, it, it takes you back. John, how do you, you back. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, no, no I was going how, how to, uh, how do you and Andy split up duties with VST? I mean, because it seems like it's almost a full-time job trying to find consignments trying to get your, your, you know, your website and your, you know, your catalog ready for the next auction, uh, you know, uh, storing stuff. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's gotta be almost a full-time job. It, it is, it is, a, a, it can be, uh, it depends how you make it. And Andy, I have a nice arrangement and, and basically our contracts read our unofficial contracts, uh, other duties <laughs> as needed. Uh, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to, you know. And you'll say, hey, you know, I can't do this this week. You have to do it. And I'll say the same thing. You know, I'm going this place. I have this going on during the week. Can you return this phone call? Yeah. Can you grab this? Can you do research on this item? Uh, can you call this person? And and it's oh, we, that's we, cool. We've actually it has and it's worked out well for the almost eight years now that we've been doing between MSB and BST. It's it's been pretty much flawless as far as that goes. Thankfully that him and I are flexible enough to to work together yeah. like that. So, and as far yeah. as storing things Two. goes, he, he has the capacity to store things. And, and yeah. uh, we have, you know, I, we have a, <laughs> a, a vested interest in a few banks and uh, safety deposit boxes for, you know, the, yeah. the high end <laughs> material to keep that safe for our consigners. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's another thing yeah. too, but yeah, there's, it's, it's a constant, it's constantly changing. It's very dynamic. Um, and it's, you know, it depends what you get in. I, I'd love to get a box of, uh, you know, PSA graded hall of fame rookies in, uh, I could put them uh, on my desktop, but as I was saying in my dining room right now, uh, as I, as I go through, these are a couple football sets that take up, uh, a decent amount of space. And as soon as I'm finished with those, let's go back off to the <laughs> warehouse. So, you know, it's just it's one thing after another. So things come in and things go out. That's pretty cool, and it's got to be just impressive the stuff that you see, the the breadth of the the stuff that you see that you collect. I mean, between you know MSB and BST, just 
I mean, you guys are pretty much, you know, the auction house when it comes to football. Uh, you know, it's your expertise. So when somebody wants to sell something, like you said, kind of something esoteric, you know, you're going to get the call. So, I mean, it's uh, it's got to be very cool, to, you know, the stuff you see. Oh, it's it's been great, and and it's 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 kind of a collector's dream. Sometimes I wish I could take a deeper breath and and kind of you know, smell the roses, so to speak. But uh, uh, the things that have gone through my hands in the last five years, especially since we started the auction house, uh, things I never even imagined touching. You know, I'm sitting here looking at, I'm I'm doing research on, I'm taking a close view and 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 passing them on to the next person. It's it's kind of collecting, you know, uh, quickly and uh, and letting it go. And uh, another auction house. Uh, owner and myself sat down for a little bit at the national this year and we both talked about how it feels to it's kind of being honored to be able to hold some of this stuff for a while because you know ordinary there's no way the volume material i would unless i hit the the powerball would be able to afford all this material so it's nice to be able to hold it for a little while and enjoy it and then pass it on to somebody pass it on to another collector so Hmm. truly amazing john put you on the spot what do you think the market's going to look like in five years? You briefly mentioned it initially, um, tying in to the graded market. What, what do you honestly see five years from now, if anything? So I get to play Warren Buffett right now? Uh, let me think here. <laughs> uh, I've got my pen in my hand, John. I'm hanging on every word. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Um, I, I honestly, what I just said, I believe, though, I think that if somebody is getting into this and, and – we'd all be liars if we didn't say we weren't watching what, what the market is going to bring or what we think the market's going to bring when we purchase these items, you know, collect them because we love yep. them, but at the same time, you know, there's a value behind it too. Uh, I'm hoping and that the, the, the paper, Bob, that you and I talk about all the time, you know, the, the tickets, the programs, the old guides that seemed to peaked a while ago and seemed to have kind of, kind of flatlined a little bit. Uh, if I were buying today, in, in 2017, I'd be gobbling that stuff up right now because if, mm-hmm. when I talk about things that come through my hands, I can't tell you how many Bart Starr rookies I've held in the last five years. But a 1933 Pittsburgh Pirates program, uh, I've held two of those in my lifetime. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and they, I have wow. one, had one for sale for a while, and it's still for sale on MSB's uh, website. And, and that's the first season from one of the most, you know, arguably one of the most storied franchises in the NFL. And uh, you don't, and and people are still kind of balking on it, like ah, oh, you know, the condition's not so great, and I'm like okay, find another one. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, don't yeah. want to say that out loud, but that's you know, if you if you can find another one, great for you. But for the most part, so to answer your question directly, Bob, I think in in the the, the graded stuff I feel is going to continue, and in, in five years from now, especially when NFL in the next two years goes through its hundredth anniversary, you're going to see an increased mm-hmm. interest in historical aspect and people are going to want historical artifacts. I'm in full agreement yeah. with the paper items. But I think they're, very, they're way undervalued and uh, even even the old football, illustrated footballs from the 30 magazines and any program, any ticket stub, any photo, they're rare of rare and if you got a chance to buy them now, to me they're, they're undervalued uh, in comparison to where they're going to be probably five, 10, yeah. 15 years from now. Yeah. And to, to your point, John, I mean, look at that, uh, you, you know, that, uh, you know, Grange number 77, you know, Shotwell card. Uh, that's, that's, it's beat to heck, but it doesn't matter. It's almost, it almost makes it a little more nostalgic to see it beat to heck. 
somebody injured some of the shots. Somebody had a good time. Yeah. Somebody played with it. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, some of the Shotwell cards, those are very, very sensitive. They're thin cards. I mean, you know, I mean, to see a, you know, a good-looking SG, you know, PSA 2 or SGC 30 card, is it's kind of cool. That's almost the norm. No, you're absolutely right. So, I'll say, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of an off-topic question, John. You know, sure. uh, I forget. I think it's Heritage that just ended, and there was uh, several cards there that went for a lot of money. Uh, you know, Jim Brown nine, a Unitas nine. Those were those became, you know, really you know big six-figure cards. What do you think is the most expensive football item right now that you know that could could possibly come to market? Like a you know a Nagurski nine. There's one floating around out there. It's closely held, obviously, but you know. You know, just name something. I mean, if it was, you know, if it was uh, Vince Lombardi's hat autographed by him with provenance from the first Super Bowl, you know, kind of thing. What do you think would be the most expensive football item? A Canton Bulldogs Jim Thorpe jersey. I first thing that pops into my head is somebody could find one of those and and attribute it to him, game worn with his number. I forget, what number do you wear, Joe? I can't remember off the top of my head. Was he number two, three? I thought he was can't three. Remember. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But if, if that came to market, I would have to – it would have to – I don't know. It, the Nagurski 9 might compete with it now. I would say that Nagurski 9 went for, what, 350 privately? Uh, that that yeah, might be a half-million card today. And then I, I think a Thorpe jersey would hopefully compete with that. And that's maybe – well, what are a Grange jersey? A Grange 77 jersey. I can't imagine what that would sell for either. I mean that that would be, but those those would be the kind of items that would would you know even in a catalog with full of baseball stuff would take away from what's in the baseball catalog, mm-hmm. you know, auction catalog. I think so. So I hadn't considered a Thorpe jersey. That's interesting. That's pretty cool. Boy, that would be amazing. The first thing that popped into my head. Oh, it would. It would just just the colors and everything. You can only imagine. You know, just how absolutely gorgeous something like that would be, and just thinking of the, the man wearing it. That's all. The man in his prime. Yeah, John, we're almost out of time. Any final thoughts on um, on anything we've gone over? Other than uh, if you haven't registered yet for the auction, I highly recommend it. www.bst-auctions.com, and we actually are trying to maintain a a Facebook page as well, and go on there. We get constant (laughs) updates about what's going on in the auction. So. I'm trying to move into the 21st century, Bob. I know you consider yourself a dinosaur, but uh, uh, I, I think I'm right there with you sometimes. I'm a little bit John, younger than you. John, I have to page you so you can call me on your landline when I want to talk to you. Come on. <laughs> Smoke signals. <laughs> That's why I couldn't recognize the number when it came on. It was so many different digits there. So. That was interesting. Well, John, thank you for being on. Good luck with the auction. We'll definitely be in touch with uh, the markets and everything else going on. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for talking and on the podcast tonight. And, again, if uh, you haven't seen the auction, get on there, look at it, bid on it. There's a lot of one-on-ones that you're not going to see for many, many years again uh, that are available. Unbelievable. Always a pleasure, guys. Appreciate the time. Good luck on the auction, Johnny. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you guys soon. Okay, you're welcome, John. Thanks for being on. Take care. No problem. Bye-bye. John Spano, our guest tonight. Incredible discussion on the market. 
an incredible discussion as far as the auction is concerned. I know, Joe, you're eyeing a few items on that auction. I am going to be very secretive as to what I am going to be possibly bidding on at a later time over the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just taken back when I when I got the catalog in the mail and I started looking at it and, and I just said, "Wow, this is this is just incredible to see, incredible to uh, to see a lot of one-on-one things that just don't come to the market in any way, shape, or form." And the, the other quick comment I'm going to make, and I, I and I know we've talked about this in the past, it's to me so much easier collecting today in an internet age than it was 25, yeah. 30 years ago. Or is it yeah. really, or is it really taking some of the glamour out, you know, type of thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'd be on the fence about that too. Yeah, I, that's I, good. That's a good I'm still the, still the physical type of person going to the you know the paper shows, going to the flea markets, going to the antique shows, and uh, you know, and I I don't want to consider myself, and I'm not an American picker type person, but I just I think the thrill of the hunt is finding it and buying it type of thing, and I don't know for me, I I just. You know, as stuff becomes more and more difficult to find, but yet it's rel- relatively easy to find on the internet. It's just, it's just not the same thing for me. I don't know. I guess it's just me. Whatever. But it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's in, it's 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 interesting because you know, hearing John talk about the things coming up, you do realize there's rarity. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you and I were emailing a couple days ago about, you know, some things to talk about, I was, you know, what, what is, the, what do you consider rare? What is extremely rare, rare? Yeah. I mean, what, you know, you know it's, it's kind of a subjective thing. I mean, you mentioned there's some one of one, there's some one of two cards coming up here. You know, a pop two card, I mean, you know, of one of the biggest stars of football, Grange, I mean, is, is available mm-hmm. here. It doesn't come up very often. And uh, most of us in the hobby know where the second one is. And it's not coming up anywhere anytime soon. Uh, there, a lot of us know where that, where that, you know, where that Bronco Nagurski nine is. We know where a lot of these high end cards are, and we know that they're not making an appearance anytime soon. So that's right. yeah, kind of right. interesting. It's just it's truly truly amazing to me to, to to see that kind of stuff. And again, you know, looking at all the different auctions out there, and there's there's a ton of auction houses, and there's there's a ton of things that are available and. You know, on and on and on and on and on. And then you get something like this where you actually see something that you never really see in the market. Yeah. It's nice. It's a nice change of pace, and it's, and it's nice to yeah. see as, a, you know, as a longtime collector and as a longtime, you know, follower of of, uh, of collecting. But I still believe that we're down to two minutes. Yeah. We're in our two-minute warning. I, I still believe very yeah. strongly photos, ticket stubs, programs, Yep. Uh, football, uh, football guides from pre World War II are just so rare, and to me they're so unappreciated in in the market today. It just amazes me. So I still say that's going to be an area where it's going to pick up one more time, and I think there's going to be some renewed interest over the next five, ten years. On I could be wrong, but I think paper is going to be very much uh, in demand. Over the next few years, so we'll see what yeah, happens. Let me look with at that. that. There's a there's All a right, program in that BSD. 
It's like it's like an 1890 Yale program. I'm looking at that. I'm like that thing is 200 or 125 years old, and I'm and it's yeah. a piece of it's paper that has survived. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's one of one. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. All right, down to a few seconds here. I just want to thank our audience for listening. And as a reminder, we are sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website, msbsportscards.com. And on what you heard, BSC Auctions were also sponsored by them. And their website for this auction, bscauctions.com. We're going to be back toward the end of the month with our next show. Uh, I'm taking a well-deserved break. Uh, Brenda and I are going to get away for a little while. And I know, uh, Joe, you, you got a big thing planned in November, which we'll be talking about in the next show. But in any event, yep. um, we'll be talking in a few weeks, and our next show will be coming up. And I'd like to thank everybody. Bob, when, I, when I think about you on vacation, I think of you wearing a Green Bay Packers Speedo on the beach. <laughs> Far from it. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.